Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. My name is Amelia Edwards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, co-presenter, Barnaby King. Hello, and I am scandalised. Why? Scandalised that we missed a week. I know, I'm sorry. All because of the most basic excuse that you're really busy with work, and we both (laughs) had bad colds because you've gone back to school, and now that the kids are back in school, it's back to being a petri dish of colds. A hundred percent, and... It was another reason that was my fault as well. Oh, yeah? So I found the topic we're going to do today. Yeah. And I was really, really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And on Wikipedia, it's about half a page long. Ah, so one of those. I thought this is going to be really short. Yeah. I found this months ago. I bought a book. I have been waiting for it <laughs> because it's very rare in print. Oh, uh, okay. The book is called The London Monster... Terror on the Streets in 1790, and is by Jan Bonderson. Oh, that's a good name. Good name, Jan Bonderson. And pretty good title, too. Mm-hmm. The London Monster. The London Monster. It is thorough. Ah. There is a lot to say about the London Monster. Right. So, the London Monster... Mm-hmm. I know the London monster from Neil Gaiman's book Neverwhere, where it's the I think it's the Beast of London actually, where it's like a giant boar thing. Oh yeah, no, this is not the London monster. Okay, right. That's the Beast of London. Right, that's something else. Okay, okay. Um, basically, you know, a little while ago we watched the first season of Bridgerton. Yes, we did, yeah. In a very short amount of time. Yeah. Because I, I, it's some good trash. It was good trash. I think we were both... Were we unwell or something? I think so. We don't normally <laughs> we don't normally binge series, but I think back on that day and it's like it's like we're a bit feverish or something. That could I, just have been the effect of Bridgerton, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, it we, is <laughs> glamorising Yes, lot. definitely. Um, so this is... Peak Bridgerton time right. is when the London monster turns up. Oh, okay. So, let me take you back in time. Mm-hmm. Our story begins in London, obviously. I wouldn't expect it to be in Edinburgh. And in <laughs> 1790. You shock me. <laughs> not a time we've really done very much before. We no. tend to be early 1800s. Yeah, the 1700s, I always feel, is a bit of a meh century, Really? Like, I know a lot goes on, obviously, but it always feels to me like you're kind of, you're waiting for the 1800s to start, (laughs) or else it's like, it's the tail end of the 1600s, and there's still a lot of interesting stuff happening there. I think everyone's just like, going, come on, Regency era. Yeah, pretty much. Although, I think this is at the start of the Regency era, or just, it's just about to get going. Yeah, We're, we're just about to get into the sort of, the interesting stuff with Napoleon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, basically. So, it's 1790, Mm -hmm. and a Miss Anne Porter and her sister Sarah have been taken by their father to the Queen's birthday party. Hooray! I know, super exciting. There are fireworks going off. It's a really big deal. Nice. They've got party poppers. There are balloons Mm -hmm. with the Queen's face on them, sort of extended (laughs) out. So, (laughs) weird. (laughs) So... Although Sarah and Anne are not actually quite gentlewomen, right? Um, 
they have to stay in the gallery as a result of this. Right. But they're still having, you know, a really good time. With, get... the, with the rest of the oiks. But, well, not quite oiks. They're still considered, you know... Oh, please. Please. They're, they're oiks. Right. Oiks of the worst sort because they have airs about them. Oh, the poor Miss Porters. <laughs> um... They're able to see all the nobility in their fancy party outfits. Yeah. Apparently, the Prince of Wales, you know, our fave. Oh, right, um, yeah. W- made a brief appearance, covered in silver. Of course. As is his trashy, trashy yep. ways. Um, and Anne and Sarah, from all accounts, they're a bit like the younger Bennett sisters out of Pride and Prejudice. Like, they're young, they're pretty, they like to go out and have parties and a good time. Right, I see. Um but this party ended too soon Aww. because the queen decided that she wanted to go to bed. <laughs> she retired at 11, which is pretty early to finish yeah. your all-night birthday party. Yeah, right. And that meant that all the other fashionable guests left as well. Aww. And the Miss Porters thought the party was going to end later so their mm. father was going to come and pick them up at 12. Oh no, you've, it's like you've pre-booked the taxis yeah. and you're just waiting around and it's like... I'm so bored, I'm getting cold, I'm Mm -hmm. miserable. God, this has just ruined the evening. Absolutely. So they're hanging around and they discuss with their chaperone, you know, because they're good middle-class ladies. Of course. And they decide that they're going to go home on foot because they only live a couple of streets away in St. James's Street. Oh, this is going to get this is getting sinister now. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It never starts well if pe- if young women are walking home in the streets nope. by themselves or with their chaperone who's a middle-aged lady. Yeah. As they were halfway up their own street. Dun dun. Sarah was approached by a strange man. Dun dun. Who stared her in the face. Dun dun. Exclaimed, "Oh, is that you?" Dun dun. And then punched her in the back of the head. Whoa! Jesus, yep. okay. Right, yeah. I, I was doing like dramatic thing for something really sinister. That's just, that's just a random act of violence. Yeah. Also, punch her in the back of the head? Yeah, don't that... know quite how that happened, but he was clearly <laughs> intending violence. He punched her in the back of the head. Mr. Tickle, with his incredibly <laughs> long arms, just reached around and whacked her right in the back of the skull. Yeah, I don't know. Like, apparently this guy was pretty tall. Uh, it's still I, weird. Yeah, that is still, still weird. weird. Um, so she managed to stay upright and right. she ran for it, but her companions hadn't noticed what had just happened because the streets were crowded and yeah. everyone's having this big party. Yeah. So as she's banging on the door of her home, the man comes up behind her sister, Anne. Okay. And Anne feels a strange sensation on her hip. Oh, God. And she looked around and she saw this man right. who just smiled at her Ooh. and made no attempt to run away. Oh, God. Right? That's so creepy. Horrible. So this guy's just standing there smiling at her. They finally managed to get into their house. Yeah. They look around. He's still standing there. Like, oh, at God. one point, he wanders off and then he comes back. Oh, and he's nice. just, like, grinning. <laughs> comes back with a hot dog in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, when she got into the house, she found that the whole side of her dress was soaked with blood. Oh, no. And this blood actually puddled on the floor underneath her. And when a doctor came and examined her, he found that she had a slash in her thigh and buttock that was more than six inches long. Oh, my God. And three inches deep. Oh, that's horrible. It's really awful. Later on... 
it was said that basically her stays, which are like just pre-corsets, yeah. were the only thing that stopped this blade going into her abdomen. Bloody hell. So have no fear, Miss Anne does survive. Right. But she's very badly wounded. Yeah, that is really bad. And like, whatever he uses got to be sharp as hell. Yeah. Like, I, I actually, I knew of someone uh, who was uh, wandering around Brighton, actually. Mm. And was walking down a street, and there were some there were some reprobate youths yeah. standing sort of either side of this little street. Okay. And he was like, "I'm just going to walk through them. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I can't, youths, I can't go around them." Are normally, yeah, youths. exactly. He walked around them, and like everything was fine. And then like walked for about twenty feet, and then just collapsed oh because God. one of them had like a razor sharp knife and it oh. just held it out, like literally yeah. almost exactly the same as this actually across his leg, and he just fell down. Yeah, that's what this guy's just. Yeah. Done. So the next day, her father Thomas Porter, um, mm-hmm. who was a sensible man, he went to report the crime to the Bow Street Police. Yeah. And he took Sarah with him because she had seen this guy as well. Yeah. And she said that this man was at least six foot tall, mm-hmm. thin, with light brown hair and a large nose. Okay. And when Mr. Porter and his daughter reported this to the magistrate on duty, they were surprised to learn that four other ladies had been attacked in a similar manner on the night of the Queen's birthday. Whoa! And not only that, but many other women had been attacked on the streets of London by a similar-looking man with a similar MO for the past two years. What? Yeah. So this man came to be described in the press as the London Monster. Yeah, okay. I mean, fitting title. Very much so. What the hell? Four in one night? Four in one night. And he's just wandering around. Most of the time, his attacks also come along with him saying some really insulting language to this woman. Right. Which the language itself wasn't repeated because this is the 1790s. Yeah. But basically... Decency forbids printing what was said. Yeah. Basically, he comes up to them, says something indecent to them, and then stabs them in the thigh or in the buttock. Damn. Yeah. That's horrible. It's really grim. Why? Why is he doing this? Well, nobody actually tried to think about it at the time. Mm. There was this idea, lots of these women were fashionable ladies. Right. You know, at least at the level of the Miss Porters. Yeah. And they were often very pretty. Right. And so there was this idea that he might be trying to... Um, take revenge on beautiful women. Right. Although Jan Bonderson mentions that this is not the only case of someone doing this type of thing. Oh, okay. Um, and a lot of the times when the person's been captured, it turns out that they are using it because they're sadists in the right. traditional sense and they're getting a kind of sexual pleasure out of it. Okay, right. They're not just very inaccurate cut purses. No, although that was suggested by the press as well. Mm, makes sense. So. so, at this point, I think it's worthwhile talking about why this man is able to wander the streets, stabbing women as he pleases. Yeah. And one reason for this is that just despite Bridgerton's depiction of London in the late 17, early 1800s, mm. London was a horrible place and time to be at that yeah. time. So, George III is king. Um, he's gone mad, I think, by this point. Yeah. Um, and the French Revolution's just got started as well. 
Oh, brilliant. Over, over the pond. No, yep. um, over the English Channel. Yes. Across the pond would be the America. Pond in America. And, the former colonies. And London was absolutely full of crime because yeah. over the past 150-ish years, mm-hmm. it grew from a city of 400,000 people to just over a million. Whoa. Yeah, insane growth. That's huge. Yes. And, my God, it must have stank. Yep. Like... That that city has not been built to house that many people. It hadn't. So the streets were full. Slum dwellings were everywhere. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a great time. No. And then they've got the Industrial Revolution coming around the corner, which is not going to make anything any better for them. Well, they're pretty much cranking up on the Industrial yeah. Revolution, which is why so many people have suddenly moved to London. Oh, uh, yeah. Also... The way that they used to deal with criminals was to send them to America. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the the American Revolution's taken place now, so you can't do that. To Australia, then. Yeah. By this time, they were just starting to send criminals to Australia. Yeah. But there was an interim period between those two, like, penal colonies. Yeah. So what they did was they added a bunch more crimes to the bloody code. The bloody code. I know. (laughs) So annoying. (laughs) So the bloody code was crimes for which you can be executed. Oh, right. Right? Yeah, okay. So originally that was serious crimes like rape, murder and treason. Yeah. By the 1790s, more than 200 crimes were on the list. Do you want to include? Do you want to hear some of the silly ones? Sure. Pickpocketing more than a shilling. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to be a very careful pickpocket then. Yeah, you've got to pickpocket very little. Um, I thought he only had eleven pence. <laughs> <laughs> um, breaking the border of a fish pond so the fish could escape. Right. I mean, was that common? Apparently enough that people <laughs> were like, "We've got to execute these people." early environmental activists All right. be free <laughs> and here's a really specific one yeah breaking a pane of glass on a winter's night with the intent to steal ah just on a winter's just night just on a winter's night you can do it in summer to your heart's content you'll Absolutely. just get a fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Bonderson mentions that in December 1789 two boys who were aged 12 and 14 were sentenced to death for Whoa. stealing seven silk handkerchiefs from a shop Oh, damn. Yeah. So this death penalty, it's really serious. Yeah. And also it doesn't catch everybody that you want because meanwhile, Mm. many rapists were walking free because people didn't believe their accusers. Oh, not like nowadays then. Not like nowadays. No, nowadays when all rape is dealt with, you know, efficiently, Mm -hmm. people are cared for Mm -hmm. and the the, uh, violators are taken away and justice is served. Yep. So women were considered untrustworthy witnesses. Ah. And especially working class women. Of course. I'm so glad that doesn't happen nowadays. No. When as soon as a celebrity, you know, has some allegations against them, people are just like, this woman is just making it up. Mm -hmm. So glad that never happens. Never happens. Also, at this point, the police were particularly corrupt. Yeah, that makes sense. So the majority of watchmen were old men. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, basically people who had been in the army or yeah. had done something else. And the worst of them used their powers to take bribes and to arrest the wrong people. Yep. The Bow Street Runners 
had just been created. Yeah. And they were somewhat better, but they were struggling against this massive, massive city that was filled with crime. So yeah. they can't really yeah, be I've, super effective. I've seen Ripper Street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, among all of this, we've got all these people being attacked. Yeah. And this has just gone somewhat unnoticed mm-hmm. until the point where Miss Porter and all the other ladies were attacked on the Queen's birthday. Yeah. And then it starts to make it into the press. Right. So there was a rumour in the press that one of these ladies was the Honourable Mrs. Walpole. Um, and the rumour goes that when she was attacked by the monster, she was saved by an apple in her pocket. Amazing. Now, this had actually happened. Nice. But to another woman, a oh, Miss Fenton. Right. A, uh, sorry, Felton, who wasn't as important. Right. But the newspapers loved the story. Yeah. And so they wrote a poem about it. Do you want to hear? Okay, sure. The apple was, in days of yore, an agent to the devil, when Eve was tempted to explore the sense of good and evil. But present chronicles can give an instance quite uncommon, how that which ruined Mother Eve hath saved a modern woman. Amazing. Isn't it good? Yeah. Why don't the newspapers publish poems about stuff these days? I don't know. Journalists are just lazy. I guess so. (laughs) I was going to say, like, this is definitely a biblical thing, right? With the apple. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, isn't that just such a great opportunity? Yeah. So by April of 1790, the number of victims of the monster had risen to above 30 women. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. And most of these were gentlewomen or at least women high in the middle class. Yeah. And so obviously this caught the attention of Mm. a young, well, of a successful man. Right. Uh, This was John Julius Angerstein. Oh, good name. Good name. He might... Okay, he had rumours that he might have been, like, the illegitimate son of one of the Russian kings. Oh, amazing. He came from Germany. Yeah. And he worked as an insurance broker at Lloyd's Coffee House. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I, I kind of like John Julius Angerstein. <laughs> yeah, selling insurance over a cappuccino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The whole thing about Lloyd's Coffee House is hilarious. Yeah. It was basically... A lot of people gathered there who knew a lot about shipping. Okay. And so then people started going there to sell insurance to the merchants. Right. And then there were enough people there selling insurance that they were like, oh, let's just make this a business. <laughs> and so Lloyd's Insurance House still exists today. Oh my God. So they just cut back on the coffee and went in on the claims. I, I think they've just got a coffee machine now. <laughs> I imagine it's a good one. They're a very fancy firm. Yeah, you gotta hope so. Yeah. <laughs> There's just one ancient barista. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so John Julius hopped off on caffeine. Yep. Decides that he doesn't have enough to do with his life. Yeah. And he goes around to interview each of the victims. And just he, for shits and giggles? Well, he wants to know what's going on. Yeah. And the fair. police aren't doing a great job of it. Yeah, yeah. So he took notes of their stories yeah, and also their charms because oh. he was a womanizer as far as I can tell. Oh God, that's not what you want when you've been attacked by the London monster. I know. It's, it's like, oh, ran- this perv has been stabbing me in the butt yeah. but now I've got this other guy who's talking about how fancy I look. Yeah. <laughs> how fancy I look and how he might be a Russian king. Yeah, could be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as Jan Bonderson notes, Sarah Porter was not quite Angerstein's type. Right. He described her as mild, genteel, and rather handsome. Oh. I know. Damning with faint praise. On the other hand, her sister Anne, though. (laughs) Oh, she was a cracker. 
I mean, Anne was an absolute cracker. She was young, below the middle size, with fine black eyes, good skin, fine teeth. <laughs> like a horse. Like a horse. Lively, sensible, delicate, and rather pretty. Hmm. With great big tits. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so rude. Would you like to see a picture of Anne? Oh, there's a picture. I've oh, got okay. Loads of pictures. Oh, brilliant. Oh, she is quite the society lady. Isn't she? Yes. She's like exactly what you picture when yeah. you picture a lady of this time. Yeah, she she kind of looks like she should be a character in Corpse Bride. <laughs> I see what you mean. I get it. I mean, she's got more slopey shoulders, which was the whole thing yeah. back then. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, so a quick note here um, was when he went round, he found that most women had been attacked in the way that um, Anne and Sarah had. Yeah. But some of them found themselves being approached by a man with a nosegay of flowers. Okay. Who asked the women if they'd like to smell it. And then when they lean in, he stabs them? I mean, this one's a bit weird. This is... um, It sounds like one of those urban myths about toffee apples or something containing razor blades. Oh, I see, yeah. So um, most of the women said no, and they said... Because the the nosegay he's offering looks like it's made out of artificial flowers. Right. And then when they were forced to smell it anyway, they found there was something sharp inside which would cut them on the face. Oh, God. Yeah. That's horrible. It's really horrible. Ah. But it's an important point for us to remember later on is this whole like weird thing about going, no, I, I think that looks rather artificial. And yeah. then this guy gets angry and stabs you in the face. Yeah. This is interesting. So... That's very different. That's a very different MO. Was there any reason for them to suspect that there was just one London monster? Because it sounds like, I mean, firstly, he's prolific. Yeah. And secondly, like, he's doing these different things now. Like, to me, from a modern point of view, that smells of multiple people. Yes. Some of the like tabloid newspapers that were taking on this story yeah. definitely thought there was more than one monster. Yeah. And I think Angustine thought that there might have been more than one as well. Mm. Um, the thing was that there were a lot of... Pervy bastards. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, you've seen that... Like, probably all of our listeners will have at some point seen that video of the woman walking around New York and getting catcalled all those times. Um... Is this a recent thing? It was a couple of years ago. Like okay. she films herself walking around and right. then count like tallies up oh, the number of people yes, no, who I know, say I know, something yeah, about her. I know the one you mean. So the thing is that nothing ever changes. This of is course. not a new thing. Nope. And there were a lot of uh, young men who were used to loitering around the streets and right. saying things to women yeah. pretty much constantly. As is our God-given right. So the idea of being approached in the street by some creepy man who's trying to get you to smell a bunch of flowers yeah. is not actually that unusual to people. What's up? I'm just being nice. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Men, am I right? Yeah, we are scum. <laughs> well, definitely in the 1790s. Mm. So Angustine, who sees himself as like a champion of women, I think. Of course. Despite the fact he's like, you know, the pretty ones. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I speak for women. Now be quiet, you woman. I know what's best for you. Yeah. So he has a meeting in Lloyd's Coffee House and he opened a subscription to raise a reward for whoever captured that inhuman monster, whoever he may be, who has of late so frequently wounded several young women. And now everyone goes, 
a man is talking about it. We should take this seriously. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he offered a reward of £50 to whoever captured the monster. That's a pretty good reward. And if the monster was then convicted, they'd get another £50. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, that that's substantial. Yeah. It's very substantial. Probably will encourage some perjury as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So... We listen to another podcast called This Paranormal Life. Mm-hmm. And often when there's a cryptid out there, yep. they will have a section where everyone goes mad about this thing. Yeah. Well, that's what happened of as course. soon as this ridiculous amount of money yep. <laughs> was proposed. The hunt begins. The hunt is on. It's going to happen. Yep. Especially if there's a big reward involved. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're doing this for justice, Mm -hmm. for the sake of women, and because I've got some bills to pay. Absolutely. So I'm just going to tell you a few of the stories that come out of this, and we're going to skate through them because there's a lot to talk about. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. According to George Foster, who was a German naturalist in London at the time, Mm -hmm. um, people suspected the monster of being an evil spirit. Right. A master of disguise. Of course. Or an insane nobleman who had vowed to maim every beautiful woman in London. I mean, that is the most believable one so far. Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) Um, Basically, he just thought the whole thing was very entertaining. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I I guess. Yeah, if you're sitting back and looking at people's reaction, it kind of is. Yeah, and if you're not the person, the woman being stabbed in the thigh and the arse. Yeah, definitely. Um, So the Westminster Forum Debating Society, Mm -hmm. which included a fair number of women, um, debated this topic. Who is the greater disgrace to humanity? The monster who has lately cut so many women in London, or the slave-trading wretches who drag the unhappy female African from her family and native country? Okay, that's a more contentious question than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually quite an interesting topic. Isn't it? (laughs) And apparently a lot of the people who went along to observe this were abolitionists, and especially people who were worried about female Africans being abducted from their country and sold into slavery. Yeah. So, yeah, we got the abolitionist movement getting involved. Okay. Um, They also had a play about it. There was a play called The London Monster, which was performed at Astley's Theatre. Um, People got so het up about The London Monster that during one performance, a drunken sailor got confused about the monster and jumped out of the galley with a stout oat stick in his hand and he attempted to attack the player who was playing the monster. Yeah, that that makes sense. And as an actor, you're in a really difficult position there because, I mean, what are you going to do with a drunken sailor? <laughs> what should you do? There's just so many options. <laughs> Oh my god, I was wondering why you were sitting quietly. (laughs) (laughs) How did you not see that coming? I just didn't. (laughs) So this guy actually would have hit the actor if the company hadn't been quite quick and dropped the curtain and be like, okay guys, show's (laughs) over. (laughs) They'd already had the discussion. What shall we do with a drunken sailor beforehand? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing was that the mob, because like there were always the, all these people milling around, yeah. um, they were constantly accusing men of being the monster and trying to bring him to justice. Right, yeah. So a journalist in the Oracle newspaper wrote, It is really distressing to walk our streets towards evening. 
Every woman we meet regards us with distrust, <laughs> shrinks sidling from our touch, and expects a poniard to pierce what gallantry and manhood consider as sacred. Wow. Which is like, why are you touching women? Yeah. Oracle journalist. That, that was the first... Well, that, actually, that was yeah. the second <laughs> thing I thought. The first thing I thought was, again... like. <sighs> We always say it, nothing ever changes. No. It's that thing where you get like the men's rights activist going, oh, don't even know what you can say to a woman anymore. Absolutely. Since the hashtag me too thing. Yeah. A man that I really respected brought up his fear to me about talking to women he worked with right. after the me too thing. It was really upsetting, actually. It is upsetting. Um, I did mention to him that me too is, you know, about a lot of people who have been assaulted in some yeah. way and that if he continues doing what he's doing he should be okay unless he should be worried yeah right like... but I think the thing is that this kind of thing gets to men yeah. a lot and it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person if you fall prey to it but mm. you should you should consider that yeah especially consider the fact that people were saying this about the London monster yeah consider where that thought comes from yeah. it's not an original thought certainly just work it out yeah. <laughs> So, like, even Angustine yeah. fell prey to this whole idea as well. Right. Um, he said that it became dangerous for a man even to walk along the streets alone, as merely calling or pointing out some person as the monster to the people passing was sufficient to endanger his life. Mm. And many were robbed and extremely abused by this means. No man of gallantry dared to approach the, a lady in the streets after dark for fear of alarming her susceptible nature. Which, once why, again, why, why, why are you approaching women in yeah. the streets after dark, Angustine? <laughs> Is it just so you can list how pretty they are? <laughs> it really does sit like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is getting in the way of our right to approach women and touch them. Like, yeah. what? just just leave them alone. I mean, he says, there was a total suspension of all street amours. <laughs> Again, it sounds like catcalling to me. Yeah. And the gentle salutations and the gay blandishment of the peripatetic beauties, the soft, easy, accommodating fair ones were all over and gloomy jealousy and dark distrust appeared on every female brow. Basically sounds like he's like, I'm upset. We can't catcall and we can't cruise for sex anymore. Yeah, basically, 100%. (laughs) That's what's going on. God's sake. Honestly, Angustine. (sighs) Pull your socks up. (laughs) So meanwhile, the women of London decided that it was time to try and fend for themselves. Mm, Well, you would. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Wealthy women ordered copper cuirasses. Oh, right. And petticoats. Amazing. Um, Armour themselves up. 100%. Oh, that's so cool. And then working class women wore what was called a cork rump. (laughs) Right? That big cork ass. Yeah. Amazing. Which had been part of the fashion, apparently. Ah. Like to, like a bit like a bustle. Oh, I see. To make you look like you've got a big juicy ass. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, nothing ever changes, (laughs) does it? Nothing (laughs) changes. But also, like, yeah, fashion and protection yeah. going hand in hand. Amazing. And also, like, some of them even wore large porridge pots underneath their oh, dresses nice. to keep themselves safe. Yeah. Now, the thing is that a number of men were attacked yeah. out of being thought of as being the monster. So their fears about it oh, aren't entirely unfounded. Yeah, I mean, when 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 he's talking about, like, being like you're walking along the street and someone just goes there's the monster like yeah okay that that is a legitimate thing to be concerned about 
you shouldn't be being concerned about stuff like, oh, I can't approach women randomly at night anymore. Yeah. But I can totally see being afraid of walking down the street and someone just goes, there's the monster and mob mentality takes over. Like... That's a thing that doesn't really happen with something like the Me Too movement. No. You can't just you can't just be wandering around and someone's like, "There's Kevin Spacey." Yeah. Like, <laughs> clearly, I'm not. <laughs> um. So the thing was that gangs of criminals realised that they could accuse their victims of being right, the monster, yeah. and then they'd get the mob on their side and they'd get away. Yeah. Um. So Jan Bonderson has a lot of these stories in his book. Oh damn! I'm going to tell you the most interesting one. Okay. So, the Viscount Netterville. Oh, good name. Mm-hmm, and his brother had gone to the theatre one night when they were accosted by Charlie Jones. Oh, a good Cockney geezer, that one, Charlie Jones. Oh, but Charlie Jones is not what you think. Oh, okay. Charlie Jones was a person who frequently went around dressed in women's clothing. Oh, okay. And when, when dressed so, was called Fat Phyllis. Oh, okay. I know. Originally, I was thinking, Charlie, good gender-neutral name. Yeah, no, no. (laughs) Okay, Uh, Fat Phyllis. She's Fat Phyllis. Right. Um, I'm not sure whether Charlie Jones is just a cross-dresser or a trans person or an early example of drag. It's very hard to say. Okay. Um, But Phyllis claimed to be good friends with Netterville. Right. Who was like, I've never seen this person before in my life. Yeah. And... she pressed herself up against him and his brother in a way that made them feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to leave. Yeah. But when that happened... <laughs> they decided to leave so that they could continue their innocent business of approaching women at night <laughs> and pressing themselves up against her. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. Probably. Um, but when they tried to leave, Phyllis accused them of having made suggestions of an inappropriate nature towards a young boy in her company. Right. Um, and basically, she was trying to blackmail them. Was like, ah, I'll I call see. the watch if yeah, you don't give yeah. me money. And they quite sensibly just ignored her and tried to get away. Yeah. But Netterville's brother was not a sensible person. Oh, no. And when they were nearly at the Viscount's house, he made a rude gesture oh, no. to Fat Phyllis. And she beat him up. Oh. And he left him unconscious. Yeah. So... um. At this point, they called the watch and Fat Phyllis was arrested. Mm. But when she was accusing them of um, trying to assault this young boy, she also said that she would call out Monster and bring the mob upon them. So once again, we've got this idea that you can get away with being kind of an appalling person. I'm not a fan of Phyllis. No, she's dreadful. She's awful. Um, but also an interesting person to suddenly turn I mean, up in your 1790s story. Yeah, it's unexpected, certainly. It is definitely. <laughs> so there were also some definite cases of women faking monster attacks. Right. So one of these was a Miss Bars. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Bars, according to Angustine, was a very fine girl, daughter to a fruiterer in St. Mary Le Bone Street. And fruitful she was too. Cor blimey. <laughs> um, now she claimed that she had been attacked by the monster twice. Right. And had been confined to her bed. Which makes sense if the attack was like Anne Porter. Yeah. So for a few days, she became a minor celebrity. Hmm. Because fashionable ladies wanted to meet the monster's latest victim. Yeah. And they also had to go through her father's shop to go visit her and they bought some fruit (laughs) on the way. So he made plenty of money. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, However, 
after some nice people suggested that maybe the parish should assist her with some money, yeah. uh, the Duke of Portland and Lord Summers made an inquiry mm-hmm. into this attack. Yeah. And on inspection, it was discovered that her wound was only an inch long. Right. And it looked more as though she had scratched herself rather than actually been attacked. Yeah. Now, the World newspaper was very upset about this because (laughs) the world had been reporting on this one the whole time. Yeah. And it said, Girls pretending to be maimed who were never touched are new kinds of monsters that should be as severely punished as the real (laughs) one. God. Nothing ever changes. I know, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, accusers are just as bad as the accused. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what else can you say? Mm -hmm. Like, of course, people who make things up, it's bad. But so often people use that as like, oh, we can't trust any of these women who Mm -hmm. say things. Oh, my God. Did any of that happen? Were people like, oh, we can't believe women anymore? Um, Well, at this point, the Times said that maybe the monster was just an overzealous pickpocket. Right. Because one of the things was that... Hey, I made that joke earlier. How dare you, the Times? (laughs) How dare you, the Times of 1790, steal a joke from 2021? Yeah, right? So rude. Oh, God damn it. I'll demand compensation. So the thing was that the monster tended to stab women through the pocket hole. Yeah. Which, like underneath which you keep your pocket which could be cut off yeah and so they thought maybe this person like all these people were just pickpockets who weren't very good at actually doing their job yeah i mean like i said i made the joke about it earlier but i mean it makes more sense to me that you're going in there because like there's less material in the way Mm -hmm. and if you've got a very sharp thing you don't want it kind of getting blunted a bit on the way and yeah yeah So, this brings us towards the end of our hunt. Oh. And the accusation, and I have to say at this point, it's almost definite that they never actually found out who the monster was. Oh, damn. I know. (gasps) So, here is our story. Right. On Sunday, the 13th of June, Anne Porter, our old friend, was going for a walk in St. James's Park with her family and their friend, John Henry Coleman, who was a fishmonger. Right. And on this walk, she suddenly cried out that she had just seen the monster and she pointed him out. The monster! Yeah, effectively. I think she swooned. She was a very swoony person. Excellent. Um, John Coleman was not a gallant man. Right. (laughs) So technically he did give chase, but what he did was he followed at a distance for about half an hour Damn, okay. (laughs) Until the alleged monster went into a house. So Coleman followed him and Mm -hmm. found out that this man was Rinnick Williams. Right. And he also went, hang on a second, I know you. (laughs) They'd met several times in pubs. Oh, okay. He just hadn't realised that he knew the man he was following for half an hour. Yeah. It sounds like he was following up quite the distance. Yeah, really. Like... (laughs) Apparently, there was a point when he was following close behind him and insulting him. Oh. Which he made a really big deal of in the trial. Right. In an attempt to get the man to attack him so that he could have satisfaction. And the man was just like, no. Like, no right. No, no. Okay. Okay. This is a bit weird then. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was going to say, you know, he may not be a gallant knight, but it's probably the more clever thing to do to follow someone and find out where they live. But it sounds like he wasn't actually doing that. He was just being 
weird. He was just <laughs> being weird. Also, the thing was that he got this. He got Rennick to write his name down and his yeah. address, and then he walked off and was like, "Hang on a second. Right. What if he gave me a false name yeah. and address?" <laughs> Which it turns out Rennick did give him a false address, Excellent. but not a false name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Coleman managed to arrest Williams. Um, on suspicion of being the monster. Yeah. And he got taken into custody by the Bow Street Runners. Mm. Um, they found out from him that he was a maker of artificial flowers. Oh, Ooh. okay. Um, when they searched his lodgings, and it turns out that actually he was living above a pub yeah. in a room that was shared by six men Right. With three beds in it. Oh, wow. Okay. Which apparently was fairly common at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, was... we've already said space is a bit of a premium yeah. at this point. So when they searched his room, they didn't find any blades at all. Right. Like, not one. He didn't own anything. Oh, okay. Six men, beards as long as your arm. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So obviously, Williams was like, no, it's not me. I'm yeah. completely innocent. Um. He said that he had once approached Porter, like, yeah. um, but the thing was that they'd had a little bit of an altercation and he thought that she was angry at him and trying to get her revenge. Right, I see. So basically, they'd had a conversation. I think she had said something demeaning about him and because he was only a flower maker. Yeah. And he was... He basically accused her of having stepped out with several other young men. Oh, my. You know, um, and he says, this is what she says was terrible language. But yeah. that's all I said was that she stepped out with this captain. Right. Like, quite readily. <laughs> Which she did. Which she did. <laughs> <laughs> so, he got tried. Yeah. Um, he actually had two trials. Oh, Okay. And the thing was that people were so upset about this that they wanted to make sure that he would have the worst sentence that he could have. Oh, damn. Which is not for stabbing women. Right. He was accused of defacing clothing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because this had a harsher penalty than assault or attempted murder. Of a woman or in general? In general. Oh, wow. Okay, because I was going to say, like... If it was just on women, then it's one of those, you know, nothing ever changes things, yeah. like with the uh, the recent police bill that protects statues over women. Oh, yeah. But over anyone, over that's, anyone. that is interesting. That's because back in 1721, yeah. there were weavers who objected to the importation of Indian fashions, which had meant that their own goods yeah. had gone down in price. And so what they did was they poured aqua fortis on the clothes of people wearing indian style clothes right um in order to stop this happening it was made a felony punishable by transportation for seven years to assault any person in the public streets with intent to tear spoil cut burn or deface Ah. the garments or clothes of such person provided the act be done in pursuance of such intention right so they said the monster wasn't trying to stab women. Yeah. The monster was trying to cut their clothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's clever as a, as like a legal strategy. Yeah. It's also a stupid legal strategy. Oh to yeah, be of course it is. But you know, <laughs> yeah, that's that's most legal strategies. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um. So the thing was that his trial was deeply unfair. 
Um, uh, okay. He his brother managed to get a lawyer for him. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the lawyer declined to accept it. Yeah. And he managed to get another lawyer the day before the trial. Oh my god. And this lawyer was not great. Yeah. So they realized how stupid this whole thing was, especially because the witnesses who came on were cheered if they were for like if they were against the monster. Right. And they were booed if they were for the monster. Oh my so god. it was like it's a goddamn wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And also this one woman who is absolutely mad and interesting yeah and a playwright turned up said that she was there as a witness that rennick williams hadn't done anything yeah then looked at him for a bit and was like actually i never got attacked but i want to see this happen (laughs) (laughs) i'm bored i want to see what goes on here (laughs) yeah she also went and did exactly the same thing again later on in the session she was like oh yeah i saw that guy and they're like really and she's like no (laughs) No kidding. <laughs> oh, what am I like? Yeah. <laughs> um. So the court realized that this whole thing was stupid. Yeah. And they gave him a retrial. Um, his defense lawyer at this point was the Irish poet Theophilus Swift. Oh, good name. Who was a descendant of the original Swift. Mm. Um, and he accused Porter of a scheme to collect the reward. Right. So he said that actually Anne had made up that um, Williams was her attacker. Yeah. Because she was engaged to Coleman, the <gasps> fishmonger. Right. And he was about to get £100. Yeah. So that would have worked out for them really well. Yeah, that'd be quite quite a nice sum there for a wedding. I know. Well, the thing was that she denied that she was engaged to him. Yeah. But then they got married like straight after the trial. So. <laughs> oh, a bit of a thin defense then. Yeah. Um, but sadly, despite the fact that a lot of people said that he was a really good worker, he was a really nice person, he was always respectful to women. Yeah. Um, he had been working in the flower factory at the time of Anne's attack. Yeah. Like, at least until 12.30. Yeah. He was still found guilty. Right. But he was sentenced to six years in prison. Right. Which is not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. And this was Newgate Prison, which, on the one hand, was an awful place to be. Yeah. But on the other hand, it allowed people to have alcohol and Mm. pets and um apparently visitors of a female nature right uh, he managed to conceive a child while he was in prison and he got married to his child's mother the year he was released Okay, okay, to be fair this is sounding a lot better than the three-bedroom place he was living in beforehand i think it it didn't do much to improve his life. No. And he may have changed his name afterwards because yeah. his marriage is the last record we've got of Renick Williams. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, true. So that is the whole story of the madness that was the London monster and the hysteria surrounding the London yeah. monster. So it, it just kind of died down? After and... this, it just died down. Yeah. There have been a number of other people across many countries who have been, like, found guilty of exactly the same crime. Right. Um, including all the way up until the 1970s. Whoa! Yeah. Um, so there was one which I think was called the Yorkshire Slasher, and that was in the 70s. Oh, right. And 
the response in the town of Halifax where this was happening was pretty much the same as for the London Monster. Start a mob. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, women didn't go outside anymore, like yeah. that kind of thing. Nobody was wearing cork rumps, though, which I think is a shame. That is a shame. You feel? I feel like fashion could have learnt from this and created garments that were stylish and also armoured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for listening to That Time When... You can follow us on Twitter at that time when four, and you can suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and start angry mobs. Bye!